awesome. So, first of all, I want to ask that we turn to First um, Timothy chapter two, verse one. <clears throat> Thus far, um, <clears throat> I've spoken about a number of, of topics. We've been focusing largely on evangelism and um, advancing the kingdom. We've talked about that and. <clears throat> And then I've spoke about last week prophetic evangelism. <clears throat> so I didn't just mention, um, you know, evangelizing, um, and that that's good. And and we know that there's a number of different methods, right? Uh, and some are going to be more effective than others. And so I introduced um, prophetic evangelism um, because I believe that it is one of the most effective for reasons I have already explained uh, last week. And um, in case you want to uh, revisit some of those thoughts, uh, revisit some of those reasons, you can feel free to do so. Um, It's on the podcast um, or you can check the channel out. But again, I want to ask that we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. So, let, 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 let us just focus there on what we read, first of all. So, Paul, he's writing to Timothy, and he's giving a description of what he expects to see in the church, right? And he, in the second chapter here, he urges, at, or in other words, he pleads, or he begs uh, Timothy, who is his son in the faith. He says, first of all, so first of all, is something that is of first importance. And he says, this is what I want to see. He says, I want to see that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. And then if you go down to verse 3, it tells us very clearly that the Lord, what is the reasoning for this? Because he desires for all men to be saved. Right? And so, um, and it gave, it gave, not it didn't just say prayer; it said intercessions. Okay, so intercession is going to be linked to persons being saved. Okay, and so this is of a this is very important to Paul. Um, and why this is a, this is something that um, is often said. Um, I, I don't know where it comes from, but it's often uh, quoted that the Lamb of God will have the full rewards of his sufferings. Okay, so Jesus suffered and he died and he spilt his blood for what? To to be a ransom for many. And so that ransom, that death, <clears throat> there is an end goal for that death and that end goal is that people would be saved. Why? Because God doesn't desire the death of the wicked. God isn't a God of death. He's a God of life. Amen. And so now I want you, Sister Julia, to read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. <clears throat> yes. Um, so, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Oh, that's 
That's interesting. Wait, oh. that's not 45. That was, oh. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray <sighs> for those who persecute you. <clears throat> Amen. So he says, love your enemies. So who, the the church isn't our enemy. Okay. And, and so the enemy is the world. And Jesus is saying that we should pray for them. And in 1 Timothy second uh, in, uh, chapter 2, um, there's a rationale behind what exactly that looks like. And that looks like intercession. And for the purpose of their being saved, right? If God doesn't desire the death of the wicked, as he states in Ezekiel 33, if I'm not mistaken, and he wills for all men to come to repentance, then surely it is the case that God wants, that we should want that too. Right? The Bible says that that we are to be like our Father, who uh, reigns on the just and the unjust, who um, loves mankind. And so what does it mean to reign on the just and the unjust? In other words, he provides what is necessary for their crops to grow. Right? In other words, he feeds their belly. In other words, he has compassion on both alike. And so this is this is a commandment by Paul, and this isn't a suggestion, it's not a recommendation, it is an imperative. It's a commandment. So that is to say that if we aren't doing this, then there is an area of disobedience in our lives that needs reform, that needs correction. And then we we need to make it a habit to introduce. We, we need to make it a habit in our lives to practice and to practice consistently. And so I, I didn't mention what exactly my purpose for this study was, but the purpose of this study is still along the threads of evangelism, still along the lines of evangelism. But I I'm introducing prayer, intercessory prayer, as an indispensable component of evangelism. So, as great as our methods are, as great as our zeal is, as consistent as our efforts are, and we can go out day after day after day, but if intercessory prayer is not an aspect that is the bedrock of our evangelism, then we will we won't gain the results that God intends for us to gain. Amen? Uh, Amen. Because even though we are good intended, even though we love humanity, the strength of our evangelism will only be as strong as our intercessory prayer is. Okay? So, if our intercession is lacking here, in this, if our evangelism is lacking in intercession, then we won't have the fuel to be able to advance the kingdom of God, right? It's kind of like, um, it's almost like, it's probably a poor analogy, but it's kind of like the bodybuilders who, if they have an absence of steroids, they're not going to gain the results that they want to see, right? Because it boosts them. It gives them, it, 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 in, they're injecting themselves with something that their body receives. And so when you can join that with proper uh, labor in working out, then you gain results that the one who did not have steroids would not gain. Right? And so a broken clock 
is twice is wrong is right two times a day right so you can go out without praying and still maybe gain a soul here and there but god doesn't promise results for those who uh rely on their own zeal or rely on their own strength or rely um on their own presentation of the gospel and that alone we have to introduce this as a way of life there isn't Amen. there isn't an option here okay and so um <clears throat> i want i want you uh brother kezron to at this point um read luke chapter 6 verses 12 through 16 I'm in a KJV too, just to let you know. Well, that's fine. All right. One of those days, Jesus went out into the hills to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and twelve chose of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of... How, how do I say that? Aphelius. Yeah, um, Alpheus. Okay, um, Judas, son of James, and Judas um, Iscariot, who became a traitor. Okay, so what we see there in Luke chapter 6 is what? How long did Jesus pray? Spent the whole night. The whole night, right? So you you have the son of the living God. You have God in the flesh. Right? John 1.1 1, 1, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. Right? You have God incarnate. He's praying how long? He's praying all night. So Amen. if if <clears throat> the son of God needed. And so, so though he was God in the flesh. Do not be mistaken that. He was nevertheless a man. This is one of the great mysteries of the faith. Does not Paul say, Great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh? And so we have all these disputes and fights and try to philosophic, give a good philosophical reconciliation between the reality of infinite joining itself with the finite or God joining himself with humanity or becoming a human. How is it that God can limit himself? I don't know. I don't know how to explain that philosophically. But what I can say is it is great mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. And what is this mystery? That God humbled himself to a man to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the one of the ways he relied on the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is his life of praying. And so when Jesus is praying all night, what did he do immediately after having prayed all night? He elected, he selected his disciples. He selected his apostles. So this is why this, um, you know, these churches that have these applications for who wants to be the next pastor is utterly ridiculous. Because it's not a job. The church is not a democracy. A church doesn't have the policies or the procedures as the world does. Or at least it should not have it. How do we select people who are ordained for the ministry? We see and know by the Spirit. 
because you can meet all the criteria and to fulfill this job application. But we're not looking for applications, we're looking for ordination. Has God the Father ordained you? Is the Spirit highlighting you and, and giving me insight into say, you're called. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And this is precisely what Jesus is doing, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to select his apostles. Now, I know we're talking about intercessory prayer with regards to praying for the world, but I wanted to uh, focus in on this right here to show how much of an effort and a value Jesus had for prayer. How much effort he gave to it and how much of a foundation it was for his life. For him, because here's the thing, the natural mind is going to say, I don't think that it's necessary to pray that long. Because naturally speaking, that is quite a long time. I don't know if they uh, slept six hours a day, a night or eight hours a night or ten hours a night. I'm not sure. But one thing I can say is that whether it's six to ten hours, that is quite a long time to be praying. Right? And so, but whether we're talking about intercessory prayer or selecting our disciples, it, it's all under this general category of ministry. And Jesus is offering all this time before he ministers. And so I want to now turn your attention to Matthew chapter 4 to drive this point further at home. Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> we're going to read verses 1 through 3, then 12 through 17, and then through 18 through 22, and then 23 through uh, 25. But turn your attention to verses 1 through 3. So Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 3, the word of the Lord reads, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So he's led by what? By the Holy Spirit, right? Where is he led? He's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, so he's, he's not led by the flesh. He's led by the Holy Spirit. And so verse 2, it says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Well, it's, it's an interesting thing because, first of all, Satan is no one to issue out examination tests. Uh, if you If you are the Son of God, then do X, Y, and Z. Satan doesn't call the shots. Satan doesn't Satan doesn't determine the criteria here. The Father determines the criteria as to who the Son of God is, right? And so Satan is outside of his jurisdiction and is, and is demanding things of Jesus that Jesus doesn't have to provide. Okay, so that's what Satan often does to us. He incites us and says, if you really are saved, then you would be weeping this much longer over your sin. See, he tries to determine the criteria, but the Father, the Word of the Lord is what determines the criteria as to whether or not we're saved or we're validated by God. Satan doesn't issue those things. Okay? And so, 
But that's just a side note. But my point in bringing this passage out is, number one, we see Jesus is led by the Spirit. And number two, what is he led to do? He's led to fast. Now, it's omitted here because it doesn't say that he's praying. But wherever there is fasting, we can assume biblically that there is praying involved. Why? Jesus says these come out only by fasting and prayer. And so um, you can have praying without fasting, but there is no biblical fasting without praying. Do you see that? I can offer myself to the Lord in prayer and not fast, but I cannot fast without praying. This is why we see Daniel, when he fasted, what did he do? He prayed. When Moses ascended to the mount and he fasted, what did he do? He prayed. When the saints of old fasted, every time you see that they do this, Nehemiah, when he fasted certain days and and he, he wept over Jerusalem, what did he do? He prayed. And so we can assume rightfully that Jesus is praying. And how long is he in the wilderness for? He's in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time to be abiding in the wilderness. But this is exactly what he's doing. He's not relying on resources. He's not relying on um, funds. He's not relying on anything except the power and the energy of the Holy Ghost. Right? Through the vehicle of fasting and through the vehicle of prayer. And this is what I want us to now look to. Because when we look at verse 12... Okay, that's what we see. And then I'm not going to read verses 4 through 11 because it's just Jesus being tempted. Okay, but when we look at verse 12, we read, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, uh, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. (coughs) So Jesus did not enter into his public ministry because now in verse 17 it says, from that time on, From what time on? When Jesus successfully endured the temptations of the devil, had been led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights. From that point on, Jesus began to preach. Jesus was not preaching before that time. Jesus only began to preach after that time. So what what occurred even before the temptation in the wilderness? is John the Baptist pointed out Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Spirit descended on him as a dove. He got baptized and then immediately after that was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. And he fasted and prayed. So in other words, the foundation of his ministry was being built upon fasting and prayer. Because it wasn't without that prerequisite that he entered into the ministry. It was with that that he finally entered in. And so what we have are people that are preparing by seminary. And, and that is the foundation of their ministry. And it's no, longer, it's no wonder why after six months they burn out. Because they're not burning inside with the power of the Holy Ghost. And I'm not I'm not knocking going to Bible college and stuff like that. That can be cool. 
great. But some of the greatest men of God throughout, throughout history have never entered into a seminary or a Bible college. They were just hungry and desperate enough for God and devoured His Word and began to be educated by the Holy Ghost. And that is what catapulted them into their ministry. Okay, but look it. It says, so in other words, it wasn't until after this that Jesus became a light for the Gentiles. And so if we... What what happened when Jesus appeared on the Mount Transfiguration and began to pray? It says the fashion of his countenance was transfigured and his his garments were as glistering white. And so he, he began to emanate with this uh, light as he began to pray. And so if we intend on at all to be a light for the Gentiles, for those who sit in darkness without properly communing with the Holy Ghost, there will be no light. It will be obscured by darkness. Right? And so we need to continually to abide in the unapproachable light who is God Himself. Right? It says, God is light in Him there is no darkness. So let me ask you this. Are we, are we dwelling with the light? Because if we're dwelling with light, capital L, namely Jesus, and namely the Holy Spirit, namely the Father, then we can come with the power of the light and expel darkness. Amen. <clears throat> but it says that he, he began to re, uh, preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so he's coming with a power of a kingdom. Right, he's coming with the power of the kingdom. He's not coming um, campaigning for a a church. He's coming in the power of the kingdom because he began there in the A Bs and Cs of Christianity, and it's to dwell with God, to dwell with God. Right now, I want us to read and look verses eighteen through twenty two. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, <coughs> for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee. Preparing their nets, Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. <clears throat> why am I? Ex- why are we examining this passage here? Is because now, not only is Jesus um, preaching the gospel to the poor and those who sit in darkness, he is now educating his disciples to leave what they're doing to fish for men, just like he. Do you see that? And so, notice though, whether it's selecting disciples or training disciples, or whether it's preaching the gospel to the poor, in either case, what came first? He dwelled in the wilderness and he fasted and he prayed. Do you see that? Amen. It wasn't the other way around. He didn't just stumble across these people and say, oh, dang, I think by this time we should start praying. Right? He didn't stumble into these results. In fact, everything that 
resulted at this point by this point had been predicated upon that simple reality of what he was being educated by the spirit in the wilderness <clears throat> so he's actually a parallel to what the israelites should have been able to successfully do when they were led out of egypt and wandered through the wilderness what would have taken them a short period of time, only 40 days, had taken them 40 years. But Jesus successfully endured by faith, whereas some of the others, those who had taken from the land of Egypt, had collapsed because of unbelief. <clears throat> Do you see that? It says, many of them, as the writer of Hebrews states, could not enter in because of unbelief. And what do we know according to Luke chapter 11, uh, Luke chapter 18? We know that unbelief is indicated by prayerlessness. Because Jesus says he spoke a parable to them unto this end that man ought always to pray and not faint. Well, what does fainting look like? You see at the last verse in the parable of the importunate widow, Jesus says this, When the Son of Man comes on earth, shall he find faith? So we know that Jesus is linking an absence of faith to prayerlessness. And so wherever there is a heart filled with faith, we find prayerfulness. And so Jesus was prayerful in the wilderness, relying on the Father, whereas the Israelites who led out of the land of Egypt were not reliant upon the Father, but were reliant upon themselves. And it's precisely why they fell in the wilderness, became dead carcasses, because they collapsed due to their unbelief. Do you, do you see that? <clears throat> And so, um, <clears throat> I want us now to turn to Mark chapter 1, verses um, 35 through 39. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. Um <clears throat> says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So where, wh at what time? Early in the morning, right? Like David says, early will I seek thee. My heart thirsts after thee, as a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water. Right, So before he's acquainting himself with anybody, he's going to dwell with the Father. And it says he goes into a solitary place. And it says, verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And so Jesus was a man of the Father more than he was a man of the people. Because he did not allow the ministerial duties to draw on him so much so that he uh, uh, um, was absent on a day-to-day -day basis in the place of prayer. He did not allow himself to become absent there. So it's kind of like school, you know how the teachers check you off to see if you're present or absent, you raise your hand? Well, imagine that the father wants you to learn in the school of prayer and he's and he's taking roll call to see if you're present how many times are you absent or do you have a perfect attendance right 
Or are you tardy all the time? You're coming late when you're scheduled or if you've purposed to come and join with the Father. Are you tardy? Are you always uh, making excuses? Are you always calling out sick and saying, I can't do this? Right? Jesus isn't doing that. He prioritizes this and he doesn't allow the demands of life to grab him by the garment as, his, as it were to draw him back, to prevent him from praying. Right? Because he understands that the most important thing he can do is that. And that he would be of no benefit to the people if he begins to decrease in his efforts of praying. I know the Holy Ghost is speaking to us here. So, whether it's family, whether it's job, it doesn't matter. It has to be this. It has to be Father. Father, I come to you. I need your power. I need your strength. I need I need your hand upon this. I need the results that your spirit brings. Because I cannot do this. That's the first fruits that we offer unto the Lord. That's what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything being added unto us is we put first the Lord and then secondarily we put the people. And notice, the, even the disciples are coming. Some of his great companions that you would expect godly advice from. And they, they don't have any regard for what he's doing. They didn't say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting your prayer session. They said, look, the people are looking for you, right? And so... But they had no regard that Jesus was looking for the Father. He was seeking the Father while the people were seeking for Him. Do you see that? You know what? We got it backwards today. There's a lot of evangelists. There's a lot of pastors that are so people-orientated that they're no longer orientated by the Father. They become promotional uh, uh, professionals exploiting algorithms just so that they can get their stuff out, right? But they're no longer concerned and acquainted with the business of the Father. And this is what we will see. It says, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogue and driving out demons. And so the results uh, the the God the, the results were secured by his praying, and so notice that his praying came before driving out demons. His preaching came after drive. Uh, his preaching came after praying. His driving out demons came after praying. Do you see that? And um, I forgot to read in Matthew chapter. Um, uh, you don't have to turn there. Matthew chapter 4 verses 23 and tw- uh, through 25. Uh, again, you don't have to turn there. But I just, I, I forgot to read one little passage because it, I think, gives us an understand. Uh, it gives us further insight. <coughs> it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, similar to what we just read here in Mark, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread over all all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon possessed, 
those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So what is the Decapolis? It comes from the, the prefix comes from a Greek word deca, which means ten, and polis, which means city. So it's ten cities. So that alone, that's a lot of people following him. But it's it, it, that's not that doesn't suffice to say that only Decapolis followed him. Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and other regions of the Jordan began to follow him. So in other words, even though Jesus said, "Hey, sh hush, don't tell people I'm the Son of God," people kept spreading it abroad. Right? But what do we find today? Hey, you know, uh, you know. You know, share this, and, and I'm not, I'm not, not, I'm not knocking people who say that, but th there's a line at which you cross where you become a promo you're promoting yourself, and and it's it's about that, right? You have more faith in promoting yourself than you have the Father promoting you. <laughs> yeah, and and like like I said, there there isn't a problem in saying, hey, subscribe, but my point though is, where's our faith? Is our faith in promotion and campaigning, or is our faith in the Father to promote us? Amen. Because Jesus was actually discouraging people. You know, I'm actually happy that I've, I've stopped. I've I don't see this trend anymore where people run up to the video and say, "Hey, let me." <laughs> I'm happy I don't see that anymore. I was seeing that for the longest, and I'm like, that really needs to stop. I don't like that um, because I don't need you to psychologically manipulate me into staying here on the video for you to pray for me, right? And um, if the power is with you, people will begin to ask you to pray for them, right? And 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 the in your fame will be, and, and it's not about gaining fame. It's about advancing the kingdom, but a part of advancing the kingdom is that your name begins to circulate, right? And whatever sphere of influence that looks like, it might look like, you know, one city or a certain region in a city that the Father allots to you. Or it might look like an entire country that the Lord gives you a sphere of influence. And, and it's not a cuss word to say sphere of influence. Because as long as we're exalting Jesus and we're not promoting self, it doesn't matter. In fact, we want a larger influence if we're exalting Jesus, right? Because we don't want it to be the other way around that the devil gets more of an influence. We want Jesus' name to be spread abroad, his glory to spread abroad, his fame to spread. And so, <coughs> but <coughs> the results, the results that come with spreading Jesus is only secured by the strength of our praying to him. Because that's exactly what Jesus is doing in all of these instances. You know, Paul Washer, he said this, he said, because he was speaking to a lot of missionaries, he said, um, <clears throat> how many of you by a show of hands have prayed, Father, there's lost people here. They need saving. They need saving. They need saving. And, you know, everyone's hand went up. And he said, that's really good. That's really good. But he said this. He says, how many of you have prayed, Father, your name is not hallowed there? 
Your name is not hollowed there. It's not holy there among those people. I need to go. And so that's even better because what that's suggesting is that you are zealous and jealous for the glory in the name of Almighty God. Right? <clears throat> even some of the world can be moved to compassion for humanity, right? Because they hate suffering. But how much more does it take to have a spiritual mindset to say, Father, your name is not glorified there. Your name isn't glorified there. <clears throat> and so, going back to what Paul's command to pray and to intercede for all men, right? We, we want to follow the way of the Master, namely Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? He's praying all night, right? He is, before he's making ministry moves, he is praying to the Father. Before he selects his disciple, he's praying. You know, so in other words, not everybody was allowed into his circle. He restricted his closest circle to those who were appointed by the Father. Right? And what else is he doing? He's not allowing the demands of of everyday life or even good things such as ministry to pull on him to get him away from communing with the father amen <clears throat> so once again going back to paul's command and jesus's command in matthew chapter 5 jesus saying pray for your enemies paul saying to that he would that intercessions be made for all men <clears throat> the goal is advancing the kingdom of God. The goal is for people to become saved. The goal is for darkness to be expelled. The goal is for demons to be driven out. The goal is for sicknesses to be cured. And that is what it begins, that's what it looks like for the kingdom of God to begin to advance. And so, more than a method, more than just having the correct content in the gospel, we want to look at Jesus and saying, how can I integrate that into my ministry as I advance the kingdom of God? How can I integrate those, those principles or those, that way of living so that darkness can become less and light can begin to expand? <clears throat> and so, for example... Um, I'm just using myself as an example. When I before I would go out and evangelize, I, um, I w on a number of occasions I've taken people and I've I trained them in street preaching. I I trained them in evangelizing and stuff like that. And they said, okay, I'll be at your house at so on, you know, at this time, and then we'll go out and evangelize. I said, no, come an hour earlier, because if you can't pray with me for an hour, you have no business being out there. Why? Be because I can't assume just because I'm God's child that I will necessarily gain results. Jesus has given us an instruction on what can secure results for us. And it's this, that we come to Him asking Him for power. 
interceding for men, saying, Lord, I know that there are people that are currently blind, that have their eyes veiled by darkness and the love for sin and by satanic witchcraft. And I know that my words will fall to the ground if you don't give me the words to speak. Father, I need your power. I need your wisdom. Lord, save men. Like Elisha prayed for his servant, O Lord, open up his eyes. Is in a similar fashion that we should be praying for men. Lord, open up their eyes. May the kingdom advance. May the gospel gain preeminence. May the forces of darkness become snuffed out. And may um, you multiply people (coughs) to the kingdom of God. (coughs) May you advance your kingdom. We need to be like Elisha who prayed for the... the, um, the man, uh, the boy in the Old Testament, he laid on him, right? And he prayed and he prayed and the man resurrected. He prayed for him and the boy was raised to life. Jesus says this when he, when he goes um, to lay, raise Lazarus. He says, Father, I thank you for you have heard me, for you always hear me. But nevertheless, I pray these things for those who listen. So in other words, Jesus, even before he went to go raise Lazarus, he prayed. But he says, he prayed again for what purpose? So that those who were sitting nearby, Martha, Mary, and the disciples, could know that Jesus calling forth Lazarus was in response to an answer of prayer. And that is precisely why he prayed before them in public. And so after he prayed, he does what? He says, Lazarus, come forth. So you have the power to call men forth out of their graves when you go in the power of intercessory prayer. You call men out of their grave and say, repent, uh, be joined with Christ, be raised to life. And and it, it comes not through our own words. You have, um, try going to a grave site. And telling someone to come out of their grave and see what result you have. Well, we must understand that telling someone with our own words to come out of their spiritual graves is as an impossible of a task. Because it won't happen. What do they need to hear? They need to hear the voice of the Son of God. They need to hear the voice of Christ. And that, look at what what happened the day of Pentecost. They were all sitting in one mind and one accord. And when the day of Pentecost fully came, it says they, the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. He spoke in new tongues and cloven tongues of fire rested upon each of them. And it said that 3,000 that day were added to the church. 3,000 that day from one single sermon preached by Peter were added to the church. Right? And then shortly thereafter, it said 5,000 was added to the church. And then the Bible says that, that the Lord added to the church daily. Right? So the gospel began to advance. But you know how long they were praying? They were praying for 10 days. Because Jesus appeared... <clears throat> to the disciples for 40 days through a space of 40 days and so 40 days had transpired so the day of Pentecost means 50 Pente is 50 in Greek 
And so from 40 to 50, how many days are there? There's 10 days. So 10 days they were waiting in prayer. And so after that, after that time of 10 days, you see 3,000 were added to the church. And you know what's interesting is they didn't even go anywhere. The people came to them. Amen. Do you see that? And, and I'm not suggesting that we never go out. But my point, though, is this, is that when God is behind it, there was far greater results than what man can do in his own ability. And so, <clears throat> we should not um, be of the mindset that says this. You know, that praying stuff, you know, I know I see it in Jesus' life and Paul's life. <clears throat> but you know, we're living in modern times. Get with the flow. Let's get with the program. You know, we need to start using this stuff. We need to start integrating bounce houses for our church and face paintings and we need to do all these things to attract crowds so that way they can feel like we're a friendly presence in the community and i'm not saying that that's a bad thing in the sense of being kind and friendly and stuff but what i'm saying is this is that that's not an evangelistic method that jesus ever used Amen. Like honestly, like let's let's imagine that Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus advertising for face paintings and bow sounds? <laughs> you you can't imagine it, can you? I can't either. I can't imagine Paul doing that either. I just can't. I take them too seriously to to imagine that. <clears throat> and I think that the hostility in those times were so great. That the Romans or, you know, people are like, the heck with your bounce houses. You know, and stab a sword through their bounce house or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that because I see that here often. And, and the people around here where I live, they call that evangelism. Okay. <clears throat> now, if you want to have fellowship and stuff like that, hey, that's cool. Uh, get bounce houses for the kids and all that stuff. But the thing is, if that's what we attract people with, that's what we have to keep people with. And guess what? What happens when a church down the street does it better than you? Then you have to buy a better bounce house next time. And so now you have this competition. Who has the greater tactics? <clears throat> and so whoever has a greater media program, whoever has a greater this, whoever has, you know, this, um, um, whoever has the better uh, uh, musicians or whoever has the better singers is going to attract the crowds. But you know what? I don't care about those crowds because they, they're already coming on a faulty foundation. See, what we need is to give people God. We need to give people Christ. That's what we need to give people. And if if we give people Christ, then what attracted them is what will keep them. And so I don't have to use gimmicks. I don't have to play these tactics. I don't have to use these methods in order to gain crowds. So because the thing is any and, and I say this respectfully, I don't say this to be insulting. Um but I, I, I with all sincerity that will produce gummy bear Christians. Because 
what all that's doing is create manufacturing a shell but the inside there's no substance for these people Do you see that all it's doing is concocting this this facade and pres- and propping this um it, it, it's like it's like having an orchard full of trees that don't produce fruit it looks good on the outside at a distance, but when you begin to examine the quality of the trees, you see that there's nothing that is satisfying the farmer. Right? The farmer wants the fruit. That's what the end goal of the farmer, that's what the end goal of these trees will be, is that the farmer can be satisfied. Who is the farmer? The father. And so that's the ministry that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians that will get burnt up. It's built upon hay, straw, and stubble. We need gold, precious stones, and silver. Right? <clears throat> now, what constitutes for gold? Right? Well, we see that the temple, there were certain artifacts that were made of gold and made of... See, the thing is... The things that are of greater value are always made of gold. Right? The things of greater value are always made of silver or gold. And the things that are of greater value are always closer to God and closer to the holy things and less uh, far away from the common. Right? So the, the holy artifacts in the Old Testament that the priest would use were of great uh, uh, value in substance and were made of precious material. Right? And that's because it was uncommon. It was holy. When we begin to use fleshly things, that's when we are now employing what is common. And if we're employing what is common, expect common results. But if we're employing that which is holy and uncommon, expect uncommon results by the hand of God. And so, um, I want us to turn once again to 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter two. I just I want us to look at this together. And so hold on. Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So once again, he's urging them. I'm begging you. I'm pleading you, pleading with you. This is what I want to see. And maybe we should do a little bit of defining of what intercession is. All it is is standing in the gap. That's what we're doing is we're standing in the gap for a region or for a city, for a place, right? That's what we're doing. Why? Why is it that why is it necessary that we stand in the gap? Because God doesn't hear them. In fact, they're not even praying to God because they're wicked people. You know, I, I just I, I recent check this out. I recently seen this prophetic encounter that I watched on YouTube. <clears throat> um it was crazy. There was this guy, he got this word for this this uh, boy that came. This young uh, young teen, right? And he said, uh, 
he said, and the guy that, um, I, I don't know who this guy was. He's some minister, but he prophesied to him. He said, he got a word of knowledge. He said, <clears throat> you were supposed to be dead. He said, you were shot uh, four times that hit you directly. And he's all, what? And he says, and the fifth shot grazed you. And he got all the, all these as a word of knowledge. And the guy's like tripping out during the middle of service. Like, how in the world does this guy know this? And he says, call forth your sister. And his sister's right there. And then his sister's crying. He says, and what I'm saying true? He says, yes. And he says, last week or, you know, I don't know. I don't know how long. He was placed in, no, it was probably like a month ago. He says he was placed in the hospital because he got shot by some gang members. And, um... He said this, he says, young man, he says, you're living on borrowed time. And he says, you're only here today because your sister has been praying for you. And he says, I prophesy to you that if you don't give your life to Jesus today, you will buy, you'll die exactly in a month from now. And he gave him the exact day. He says, June 14th, you will die. And so he says, <clears throat> he says, how would I know this if the Lord hasn't showed me it? He says, by the strength of what I have already showed you, you have confidence to believe that what I'm prophesying to you now will come to pass. You're living here today because the Lord the Lord was going to send you to hell, but your sister was praying for you at the moment you were dying. And because of your sister's prayers, you're here today. And if you're not going to give your life to Christ, you're on borrowed time and you will you will die exactly a month from now. And so... Um, he says, I'm going to give you some time. I'm going to minister some more. And then afterward, um, you will exp- you you will let the whole congregation know if you are intending on serving the Lord. And he says, actually, he says, for a number of weeks, your sister has been trying to get you here. And you said that you would come, but you never did. Am I right? And he says, yes. <laughs> he said, so it was amazing to see that. But my point, though, is this. Intercession. Intercession. Had secured for that boy what doctors could not have secured for him. Do you see that? Amen. It doesn't matter if you had gone to see the greatest experts. If the Lord says, "I'm pulling the plug on this boy," but what what did it? Was it the money? Was it the medical care? No, it was the prayers of a sister. Prayers of a godly woman. Right. And so what does that say for us? That the, our prayers, <clears throat> some time back, uh, my homeboy that I used to kick it with in the world, he was into gangs, he was a crip, and he was doing crazy stuff. Well, I remember um, right before I gave my life to the Lord, um, him and I were hanging out every day and doing crazy stuff, whatnot, and uh, well... I gave my life to the Lord, so I separated myself from him. <clears throat> I was only saved for about like two or three months. And at this time, I was working at McDonald's. And uh, I, I think I might have gone off at like 11 or maybe midnight. And I remember leaving McDonald's from my shift. And I'm walking across the street. And I see my friend lying in a pool of blood. He had His head, head was all banged up. And he was on the ground unconscious in a pool of blood. And the ambulance got there. The fire, One of the firefighters told me to hold the flashlight 
as they were trying to resuscitate him. And well, he ended up flying, they ended up flying him to the nearby hospital to save his life. And he, he wasn't conscious. Well, I didn't hear from, I was praying for him. I was praying over him, Lord, spare his life, spare his life, spare his life, spare his life. And so I didn't know this, but years later, because I didn't hear from him from that point forward, I didn't know where he went. But years later, I got acquainted with him and I was happy to see that he was alive. And I was like, bro, what happened to you? I didn't hear from you that point forward. He says, I flatlined. Basically, I died. And um, he says, um, I, I was resuscitated. And, and, and so I bring that story up because I wholeheartedly believe if I was not there praying that he would have died and gone to hell. Amen. And in fact, let me let me let me prove this to you guys from the scriptures. I want you guys to turn to Ezekiel. It's in uh, Ezekiel chapter twenty-two, <coughs> verse thirty. Ezekiel chapter twenty-two, verse thirty. <coughs> This is what the word of the Lord reads. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me. Stand before who? Stand before God. And I like what Leonard Ravenhill said. He says, he who kneels before God can stand before any man. See, the the most important people on earth are not those who stand in the White House. It's those who stand in the Lord's courts. Okay, so... <clears throat> who would stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. So on behalf of Ezekiel the prophet? No, he's not standing on his own behalf. He's standing on the behalf uh, of a land, or that's what the Lord is seeking for, a man to stand on the behalf of this land. What land? The, the holy land. So I would not have to destroy it. So guess what? Standing in the gap prevents the Lord from destroying certain lands and people. Amen. But guess what? He says, but I found no one. I didn't find a single person to stand in the gap for this land. And so verse 31, what do we see? So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all that they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. So in other words, they committed sins and the Lord says, I'm going to bring down upon their heads that which they have committed. Why? Because, is it because the Lord isn't merciful? No, because the Lord is looking for a mediator. Not like a priest, but as a prayer warrior and intercessor that stands in the gap that says, Lord, don't execute these people. Lord, don't pour out your wrath upon these people. Lord, spare these people. Lord, have mercy upon these people. Lord, have mercy. Be gracious, for you are gracious, kind, tender in mercies, abounding in love, slow to anger, quick to forgive. Therefore, Lord, pardon these people. 
What did Jesus pray when he was on the cross? Lord, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Forgive them. You know, he prayed that not to the Pharisees. He prayed that for the Romans. Why? Because the Romans didn't have the law. They didn't know what they were doing. In fact, I want us to turn real quickly to Romans chapter 9. Look at the heart of Paul. Look at the sort of prayer. Because some people, I've, I've had some people tell me, oh, that's unbiblical to pray for lost people. And I'm, I'm saying, really? So you're saying Paul the Apostle was unbiblical. <clears throat> Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Okay. Now this is a prayer because look at in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So what does Paul's life of prayer look like? It looks like a bunch of anguish and unceasing sorrow. And it looks like interceding for his own people. That they might be saved. Even to the point that he says, I could wish myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for my own people. And so is it of any wonder that Paul had the results that he did? What did he say in the Corinth to the Corinthians? He says, I pray in tongues more than you all. That's a lot of time to be praying, just like Jesus. But yet, even though Paul devoted all that time to praying, look at, at what the results of his ministry had secured, what God had uh, secured in his ministry, what the results looked like. It looked like the gospel being spread to all of Europe. He spread it to Spain. He spread it to Italy. He spread it to Macedonia, to Greece. And there are churches today that are, are, are there from the result of his ministry that stood uh, as these many years later. Right? And so, but look at once again. <clears throat> my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And so, is that something that we are practicing consistently? Is that something that we're practicing on a day-to-day -day basis? Is that something that we continue to give ourselves to? Because I assure you this, that there will be many people, if you make this a habit and a lifestyle, that God would spare. That God would spare if you but prayed for them. But if you don't pray for them, there are many people that the Lord will cut off sooner. Do we believe it? Do we believe the word? I, I want us to turn... Um, <clears throat> Let me uh, let me find this passage real quick. It's in the book of Genesis. Um, Genesis chapter twenty, verse seven. <clears throat> 
Genesis chapter 20, verse 7. Well, let's actually begin at verse 1. We're going to look at the word and, and see what the word has to say about this. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech king of Gerar sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent man? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. So what is taking place here? This man, though innocently, has taken Abraham's wife. Because Abraham said it was his sister. And technically, he wasn't lying because it, it was in, in some way, right? Because of, you know, family relations and all that stuff. And But the point, though, is it wasn't his full sister. And he was just playing that card because he was afraid that if he'd gone into that region, because his wife was attractive, that they would kill him for her. Right? And so... And so he ends up saying, you know, he, he omits the information that, that it was his wife and says it's his sister. So Abimelech takes this woman, his wife, Sarah, and then, you know, sleeps with her. Or, I don't, I'm not sure what the text said, or at least tried to. And so the Lord appears to Abimelech in a dream and says, look, you're a dead man. Because the man's wife that you're trying to sleep with is a prophet and so what you need to do now is you need to have this man pray for you so you might live. Do you see that? I'm not, I'm not making anything up here. You see that he, this man was trying to take a prophet's wife, even though innocently. And he says, look, he didn't even say because you're, you're fornicating. That wasn't the grounds for why the Lord was going to strike him dead. The Lord was going to strike him dead because the man he was trying to sleep with was a prophet, was a servant of the Most High. And so the, the reason why that matters is because when you, start deal, when you start messing with God's people, God is jealous for His people, right? There are certain things that you can do to a worldly person, and I'm not saying that you should because it's still sin, and the Lord will treat you more harshly if you do it to his own people. Especially his people that are messengers and are righteous. And are not living unrighteously. And such was the case of Abraham. And what does he say? He says, verse uh, 6, Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you, have, you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. 
Abimelech isn't serving the Lord, or at least I, I'm not sure if he is, because you know I, I don't. The knowledge of God was very slim in these times because there wasn't even a law for people to go based off of. And Abraham just obeys God, goes into a distant country and serves the Lord there with a little bit of revelation that he had of the Lord. And so I'm not even sure if Abimelech is is serving the Lord. But what we do know is that he was committing a sin. Abraham prayed for him and he lived, right? Um, hold on, let me let me uh, read the following passages. Let, let's just read a little bit more. If you look at verse seven, now we're t- um, it says, um, "But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all you belong to will die." Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened. They were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have you I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never have been done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? And so, um, look at um, look at verse 16. To Sarah, he said, I am giving you, brother, your brother, a thousand shekels of silver. That is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Verse 17, Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Wow. So you see, because of what one man did, the Lord afflicted the whole household, never mind just that person. So Abimelech was going to die, and all his wife and his children, all of the whole household were going to remain barren and could not conceive a child because of one thing they have committed. And then guess what? Through the prayers of one man, one righteous man, all of them were able to conceive again. And Abimelech lived. So, why would we doubt? Why would we doubt the strength of intercessory prayer? We see what it accomplishes. You know, and I, I say, I say this, family. I say this with um, complete so, sobriety of mind, and I say this not to be arrogant. And please hear what I'm saying. I honestly fear for the man whoever it may be who comes against me in my household. Why? Because I know I'm a righteous man and I'm a messenger of Christ. And if any man steals my property, uh, harasses us, or threatens me, or does something to me, a hundredfold shall come to him. And a hundredfold shall come to any wicked person who messes with you. Why? We see here in the text that God protects his people and he afflicts those who do harm to his his prized possessions. It, I, I'm not preaching a false Jesus here. I'm preaching a Jesus of the Bible. That should console us. That should make us confident. 
See, the Jesus that people preach, it's almost as if Jesus allows any and everything to happen to his people and he never does anything about it. No, not the God I serve. He, what happened? What happened to all the, the, the people? What happened to Herod? The Lord has sent an angel to strike him dead. Why? Because Herod had James killed. Right? Herod had James killed and wanted to get Peter killed. And so Herod imprisoned Peter, but earnest prayer was made. In fact, let's let's turn there. I, I want us to turn real quickly to Acts. I believe it's um, the sixth chapter. Oh, prayer was... No, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 12. <clears throat> I know this is a lot of scripture reading, but what I'm doing is providing a coherence, um, a coherent view of of the scriptures, a coherent view of intercessory prayer. Acts chapter 12. verse 1 it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them he had James the brother of John put to death with the sword when he saw that this that this met with approval among the Jews he proceeded to seize Peter also (coughs) this happened during the festival of unleavened bread After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out out for public trial after the Passover. So it doesn't matter how many people are guarding us, or how much influence or political power a man may have. You can't put your hand against God and think you will succeed. Right? And when you put your hand against God's people, you put your hand against God. Because Jesus says, the thing that you've done to the least of my followers, you have done to me. Right? And so, verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So it didn't say that they were uh, uh, protesting or that they were uh, coming out with, you know, picket signs and stuff like that. It says that they were making earnest prayers. So it wasn't that they were just praying. They were offering earnest prayer for Peter. So in other words, that is to say they're interceding for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. So, you know, it's interesting the thing about this uh, 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 angel. He's not so gentle. <laughs> He kind of just strikes Peter and says, hurry up, get up, right? But the Bible says in Hebrews that angels are are to aid us who are heirs of salvation. The Bible says in Psalm 91 that he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, lest you dash your foot against a stone. The Bible also says, I think in Psalm 37, he will command, he will, the, the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear God. They encamp around those who fear God. 
you, you looked, uh, Kezron, you looked a bit perplexed. Were you wondering where that was at? I'm trying to see why he's following that charge right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah, it's, no, excuse me, Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear God. So what does it mean to say that an angel of the Lord encamps? Encampment is a military term. And they stand guard. Did not Jesus say in the garden when he was praying, I, don't you think I can ask my father to send 12 legions of angels? Right? I can, I can ask of my father now and he will dispense of 12 legions of angels. Right? And so what great confidence does this confer to us as believers? But notice though, um, hold on. <coughs> I want us to turn to. Uh, I'm not gonna <coughs> read the passage, <coughs> but um, Peter's off. To, uh, obviously, is released from prison. He goes to the the location where they were praying for him. <coughs> they knock on the door, and they're actually surprised that the, that they meet Peter. Because they're like, uh, I think it's an angel of Peter. They're like, what? Because he's knocking on the door. So they don't even, they're not even believing what they're praying for. Or at least they didn't believe that they would see it so soon. But they nevertheless seen the prayers that they were offering on behalf of Peter. And then guess what happens? Look at verse um, 19. After Herod had a thorough search made for him, for who? Peter. And did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people over Tyre and Sidon. Now They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. So look at what prayer is accomplishing. A wicked man is dead, who's persecuting the church, who withstood the hand of the Lord. Peter is released, and the word of God continued to flourish. Right? Amen. <clears throat> so, let, let me read one more passage. Uh, James chapter 5. Go to James chapter 5. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Um, I don't know where else it, excuse me. Chapter 5.
Yeah, 5 verse 16. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, so it says, <clears throat> Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. <clears throat> so we see that people are healed through prayer. We see that through intercessory prayer that certain lives are prevented from being taken by the Lord in mercy as we stand in the gap as we see in Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30 and then we also see that in some cases the Lord ends up taking the lives of certain people because they are opposing God's kingdom and they are persecuting God's people but I want us to as I'm coming to a close I know that there, these are several different passages, and um, but they're all stringing together for this one specific topic, namely intercessory prayer. Because now, once again, how does this relate to ministry? How does this relate to gospel advancement? Because that's what we're seeking to do, is to advance the gospel. So here are some very practical ways what that looks like, is as we come... If we have appointed times that we're evangelizing, we set aside um, a good hour or two hours praying before we go out. We're hitting certain targets. Lord, have mercy on those who we will speak to. Lord, open the eyes of those whom we will speak to. Lord, grant mercy. Grant, Father, um, uh, miracle signs and wonders grant us words of prophecy grant us words of knowledge grant us lord the ability to drive out demons lord may the word of god flourish lord grant us father your leading so we know who we are to go and speak to and we pray this we pray this we pray this. We come against what's there in that region. Lord, we come against drug addiction. We come against witchcraft. Father, we pray that you would take out every um, every place where there is a hub for witchcraft and sorcery, that you would remove these people, that they would either repent or they would be removed. Because the, the purpose for gospel advancement is, isn't only winning souls but it is to take literal territories for the kingdom of God. And what we want to see when we, when we station ourselves in regions is we keep praying against the altars there, we keep praying against the shrines, we keep praying against the, the forces, the, <coughs> the powers that be, until we push it back, until we drive out the Canaanites, so to speak. You know, there's... Um, there is a certain street here in um where I live and um um there's a lot of witchcraft there there's like actual witches there and <clears throat> there had been a a number of homicides in that region and it's just poor and um very impoverished and um I drove me and my wife drove through there and we, you could feel like literally once you enter into the street, you feel a blanket of darkness. You just feel heaviness. And, um, and the same thing is, uh, has been said by um, some brothers I know who had gone over there around the time my, my friend had 
been uh, killed in that street, they would go out there and they evangelized and they prayed over that place. And they said the same thing about that area. And on a number, on another occasion, I drove my another brother through there who knew nothing about all that stuff. He says, man, once we drove in there, he says, it feels so heavy here. Why does it feel like that? I said, it's an interesting thing that you say that because a number of other people have said the same thing. And this is what is taking place here in this area. He's like, wow, that makes sense. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. And sometimes uh, there are certain regions I'll drive into and I know nothing about. And I just feel this evil. I felt demons. I feel like demons are stationed there. And I, I'm not getting all hocus pocus and stuff, but like people, you people know when you're entering into a region that is it held in immense bondage. And you sense the powers that are present. I remember when I went to Las Vegas to street preach. And it was literally the, one of the strongest um, pushbacks I had ever received. Like it, 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 was, it, was, it was very dark. Very, very, very dark. Um, and there were thousands of people on the strip. You know, them handing out pornography tracks. Like just like it's nothing. You know, and uh, strippers, walking, prostitute. It's crazy, man. They're out there doing drugs, literally just walking, doing drugs. Um, <clears throat> and so I felt like my body physically was getting sick because of how heavy it was there. And so this is why, and, and we have to be very strategic about these regions that we're going into because God's wrath is upon some of these places. And and because of God's wrath there, you know, there's a certain passage, I forgot where it's at, it's in the Old Testament, it says it has become a place of jackals. Or I think it's in Revelation, it has become a place of jackals and all unclean beasts and the dwelling place for demons. That's what the Bible says in, in Revelation concerning Babylon. Well, there's places that are uh, uh, hubs for uh, dwelling places for demons and you need to go in the strength of the spirit even with the gospel it's not enough you need to go in preparatory prayer coming against those high things coming against them the bible says take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of god wait no 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 in fact let's turn there real quickly ephesians chapter 6 <clears throat> I know you guys are familiar with this passage of scripture, um, but Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 1. Uh, no, verse 16. <clears throat> In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Alright? But, in addition to that, it says this, verse 18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. So this is in the context of spiritual warfare. So what is a spiritual warfare for? for to advance the kingdom. So we're either on the defensive holding the fort where we're at, 
or we're on the offense of taking territory. But that's the context is spiritual warfare praying. And so it says, pray in the spirit on all occasions. So that means on whatever occasion are you feeling anxiety trying to come over you? You pray. You feel worry coming over you. You pray. You have enemies come against you. You know, it's crazy. I just had some dude who was of like, he had like a, a Instagram thing. Uh, following me, it says like Illuminati or Freemason, or it says something like that. Um, I don't know why a Freemason would want to try to follow me, but um, <clears throat> anyways. But if people are harassing you, enemies come against you. You pray, so you pray on all occasions, right? But right here it says with all kinds of prayers, warfare prayers, intercessory prayer, healing prayers, empowerment prayers. Praying in tongues. Corporate prayer. Right? And request. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So, praying for uh, the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So Paul is saying, look, pray for me too that I may proclaim the gospel. So Paul is praying for it and the church at Ephesus is also praying for this. Do you see that? So this is something that is prerequisite for gospel and advancement. Do you see that? It is necessary and prerequisite for gospel advancement. Jesus did it in his life, right? Praying all night before he's selecting his disciples, before he's training his disciples, before he goes to certain regions to proclaim the gospel and driving out demons. Abraham prayed for uh, uh, Abimelech. He was saved and did not die. Ezekiel, and, and, and the Lord is saying, I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap so I won't have to pour out my wrath. Paul is praying, pray for me to advance the gospel that people may be saved. Romans chapter 10, my continual prayer to God is that they may be saved. I have unceasing anguish, continual sorrow that this may take place. This is something I'm always thinking about. It's continual. It's unceasing. It's unceasing sorrow, continual anguish. And so, in other words, that is to say, this is something that is perpetual in my life. I'm never giving up to the place to where this sorrow is not inducing in me an unceasing prayer on on their behalf. Amen. We want to see... One last passage, I I promise. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Um... Excuse me, no, it's not... um, not verse 5, I'm sorry. Um, it's verse 9. No, verse 10, I'm sorry. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10. <clears throat> See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot 
and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So, we know that Jeremiah from verse 5 is appointed as a prophet over the nations. So what does prophetic ministry look like? It means to uproot and tear down kingdoms and nations that are not planted there by the Lord. So what does what does God want us to do through our intercessory and prophetic praying? Is to have insight into these regions that are overcome by f- the forces of darkness and he wants us through our praying to uproot them. To tear them down. And so we're continuing to go time and time and time again to keep praying against it, praying against it, praying against it, praying against it until it topples over and falls. And so what does that require? That requires a lot of work. Because it has taken many years for it to take root into a soil, into a ground. And you have to go deep down inside and take it out. And so that's why it won't be accomplished through just praying once. So wherever you're stationed, if the Lord is calling you to take over territory, you you stay there and you pray every single day for that place. You begin to pray, Lord, save these people here. Begin to remove uh, those who will not repent, who are, uh, you know, um, causing havoc to this region. Tear down all the witchcraft. May the gospel advance. May prosperity come here. And so there has to be this steadfastness in intercessory prayer because once you stand in the gap, it's suspending the Lord's wrath. It's suspending his wrath and it's preventing his wrath from falling upon these people. And sooner or later, you begin to see incremental change. So, I'll stop here at this point. Recording stopped.